tell him about the Twinkie. What about the Twinkie? I've been drinking green tea all goddamn day! All of our team. Hello, and welcome once again, ye day travelers of the interwebs. I think I said that forever ago. I'm bringing it back. And uh, yeah, you're here at Gag Reel, the unasked for, unnecessary podcast about comedy movies and comedy television shows or stand-up specials. We haven't done that yet one day, uh, where we overanalyze the jokes to the point where they're not funny anymore. But uh, but we do it for, for the heck of it. Uh, thanks for joining us. I am your host, Ryan, and I'm joined, as always, by Will. What's going on? Not a mucho. How's it going, my RSS feed boys, folks, Gen- Gentiles? That's the internet folks that you're talking yeah, to? Yeah, you said the the ye olde travelers of the interwebs, and so I was trying to I tried oh, yeah. come up with some sort of play on RSS feed people, and I was like, That's well, true, maybe yeah. they're hungry. Because so, they get an RSS feed. But how you doing? I'm excited to be recording again. We, we've had, as listeners who, devo- devoted listeners know, we've been having some computer technical malfunction stuff going on, preventing the regular rollout of the episodes, preventing, you know, regular recording and stuff and editing. But uh, I'm pretty pumped to be here right now chatting. And I'm super curious to get to our uh, our episode discussion in a little bit, because this is one that I know you have not seen, uh, which I think always makes it fun when, like, you know, we're, we're going into for a blind They're talking about me. He's talking something. about me, not, not you folk, not you listeners. I have not seen it. But, yeah, this is our very untimely but almost timely, uh, as per usual, kind of hot take kind of deal. You know, we're trying to ride that bandwagon of Ghostbusters Afterlife, but we're doing it very oh, yeah. late. We're way behind. Yeah, this uh, this was one that I, I'm pretty sure most of you, unless you like live in a bubble or, you know, I'm actually pretty jealous of you if you did miss all of this. But this movie came out uh, in, in when this movie was announced, it kind of immediately became kind of a, a shitstorm of Internet. I don't know, Internet bullshittery like it just people that that uh, don't like the world, uh, it seems commented at and made made the first trailer for Ghostbusters 2016 uh I think the most downvoted video on YouTube at the time I don't know if anything's beat it now but yeah a lot of I I guess I'm assuming a lot of men did not like the idea of Ghostbusters being recast by women and I know this got a little complicated too I know there were a lot of People that also thought that the Leslie Jones character from the trailer seemed a little very stereotypy. And so maybe some of the downvotes were that. Maybe some of the downvotes were just people genuinely who thought this did not live up to the standards that they had in their mind of the Ghostbusting franchise known as the Ghostbusters. But yeah, it kind of was birthed into an unnecessary controversy that I'm sure we'll talk more in detail about. But just kind of an interesting movie to look back on now, five years later, kind of away from that controversy a bit, away from the one side being very against the movie because of the fact it had an all-female cast and only looking at that, and then 
other side kind of being defensive of the movie just for that fact as well. Mm-hmm. I walked away from this movie. Well, now let's, let's save our thoughts for the movie chat. So without further ado, I'm going to play a little bit of that trailer that everyone hated so much. Let's go. It's a class four apparition. That's okay. She seems peaceful. My name is Aaron Gilbert, doctor of particle physics. At- <laughs> That stuff went everywhere, by the way, in every crack. Very hard to wash off. We have dedicated our whole lives to studying the paranormal. Now there's sightings all over the city. There are people out there that need our help. Holtzman, you're a brilliant engineer. Aaron, no one's better at quantum physics than you. We can provide a real service. Join the club. You guys are really smart about this science stuff, but I know New York. And I can borrow a car from my uncle. <laughs> uh, you didn't disclose that the vehicle was gonna be a hearse. It's a Cadillac! Alright, Will. Uh I think I think the floor is yours here, even though I'm a little I, Yeah, no, we'll we'll get your take first, because it seems like it's gonna be a little bit more negative than mine, just from your facial expressions when asking you before this and then maybe i'll add a positive spin on that i don't i mean like i didn't hate it i did hate how much i ended up disliking it because like i wanted to like it more than i I ended up liking it i I thought the plot was kind of generic kind of felt like a comic book movie Uh, and then the rest of it like the actual character plot was just beat for beat let's just do ghostbusters again and then i thought the characters were really kind of flat in one note and way too like ridiculous and with only like one character being like the quote unquote normal one. I don't know. It was really just Leslie Jones. That was the only normal one. She was the only one. And all she did, did the whole movie was just kept saying, Oh, what, it, what is up with, you know, like complaining about, Oh, hell no. You know, just to everybody doing weird stuff. And, and, um, yeah. And then, like, for as visual as the movie was, I thought most of the humor was entirely around just dialogue quips that were obvious, like, obviously yeah. just sitting there on the camera, just, okay, riff, riff for four hours. And that's fine. But I just thought it, it works better whenever the character's a little more well-defined. I don't know. I thought it yeah. was... No, that's fair. I should not have... I watched half of it one day and then I had I had stuff to do so I had to go back to it and I missed my rental window so I had to rent it again and I should not have rented it the second time on the extended cut because it was just it was a little too long that wasn't because an hour and and 55 minutes is already pretty long for a comedy two hours and 15 minutes is a little much yeah yeah no I I was excited to rewatch this I hadn't seen it again since the theaters uh, back in 2016 but the only option for me to rent on YouTube was that mm-hmm. extended version. And I got to be honest, there was part of me that's like, do I need an extra 15 minutes? <laughs> like just uh, there was already a little bit of dread there because like, I, you know, I remembered like in the movie and I was worried that the added bits would make me like it less. Mm-hmm. And I didn't look into what all that added, uh, what, what moments were added. The stuff that I noticed, because I rewatched the whole thing from the beginning when I when I got the extended. Okay. There was a couple, like, exposi- expository bits of dialogue. Like, they kind mm. of explained Kate McKinnon's character a little better. Because in, okay. in the 
original cut, she kind of just is there. And she explains that she's a physicist, but doesn't really explain what she's doing, like how they how they became friends or anything. She's just immediately yeah. like really, really over the top wacky. Um, <laughs> one thing they don't end up explaining is why Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy stopped being friends, which was not in either version. I thought that it was implied that, you know, she... I, I guess, yeah, there are a lot of implications there, but I, I thought that Kristen Wiig just wanted to go, you know, be, you know, uh, do, do the more scholarly pursuit and, and yeah, but push like, herself away from the... But it's still kind of vague. World, the ghost girl name. Yeah, it, it's blurry, yeah. Like, the, she made it all the way to writing a book, and then she's like, you know what, I'm going to be a Columbia doctor now, so don't... Yeah. Don't talk to me anymore. And sure, sure. Um, yeah, I don't. You know, you, you, I I think you're 100 percent right on the characters. I don't think they're as clearly defined. And like, even with with being so wacky, I, I don't. I think that it gets kind of blurry between. Uh, I guess what defines Kristen Wiig versus what defines Melissa McCarthy's characters. Uh, oh yeah, her um her boyfriend is not in the original cut at all. That's one thing. Oh, yeah. interesting. But uh, yeah, Abby and Aaron are very similar, and um, like it, I think it uses that in, in cute ways, especially towards the end, in like being just like a lot of Feig's movies, uh, just kind of wrapped around female friendship yeah. and uh, kind of focusing on that. But sure, uh, I will say I really loved Kate McKinnon's eccentric <laughs> character, whether it's defined or not. Like, the, like you mentioned before, like most of the humor here is coming from quips. Uh, the the head writer alongside Paul Feig uh, on this was um, Katie Dippold, who had worked on Parks and Rec and some other kind of sitcommy stuff like that. So you'd, I feel like I definitely see that here, that kind of like, let's just rant on nothing right now in the middle of all of this kind of action-adventure plot. Yeah. And it leans into that, and that's definitely the strength of the movie, which is very different than the humor of the original Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah, it was cynical which, and really slow burn for some of the humor, and, yeah, very different. Much different style, much more kind of TV, and much more kind of Paul Feig and what, what is his bread and yeah. butter. Like, you know, this is a lot of the humor from Bridesmaids, very similar kind of here, uh, and a lot of the bigger gags of the movie... Um, or are or, or of that kind of similar ilk too, which I liked. And I feel like I can appreciate it as, as a separate entity. Yeah. I would have been curious to see where this franchise would have gone had it not been, you know, not been made with a budget so freaking big that Sony shot themselves <laughs> in a foot, you know, by teasing a yeah. sequel and never going through with it. I was, I, I would have been curious to see where the, where this, the, you know, like the characters would have gone in a in a follow up. Yeah, I think this this kind of humor maybe doesn't work as well internationally, and I don't. I I think they were really hoping to for this to be a big international blockbuster. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see that when I watch this. Um, it's a problem. I mean, I'm gonna get into it whenever we get into the franchise as a whole. But yeah. Um, there, 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 there are questions I have about whether the viability of this franchise as a franchise. Um, mm -hmm. and, and yeah, we'll get into that. A writer for, um, the undefeated.com, uh, wrote a review in 2016 when this came out 
and pointed out something we haven't talked about yet. Uh, and she said, kind of a shame that some of the best lines of the movie come from Chris Hemsworth's mouth and the whole kind of Hemsworth character when this is such a female-focused movie. And uh, I don't completely agree with that, but I do partially. And I'm just kind of saying that as a transition here and that I want to talk about how, how funny all the kind of stuff around him was. And uh, it, just, it was kind of just a setup for their punchlines, uh, reactions, but uh, I think it worked pretty much every time. Just real quick, um, can I ask why no no glass? Oh, uh, yeah, they just kept getting dirty, so I took them out. I don't have to clean them anymore. Oh, can just... boy. I gotta, I gotta yeah. try to keep that in mind. Would it be okay if I bring my cat to work sometimes? Uh, he has major anxiety problems. You know what? I, I would love to let your cat live here with you, but I have a pretty severe cat allergy. Oh, I don't have a cat. He's a dog. His name's my cat. Your, your dog's name is my cat? And Mike Hat. Your dog's name is Mike. Yeah. Last name Hat. He almost looked like he was cut into scenes sometimes. Like he wasn't even there. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, shot, reverse shot. You know, of them. Mm. And then he would always just be in this, like, entirely other shot. And it was almost like, Okay, guys, now you react to something dumb that Chris Hemsworth just said, and then they filmed Chris's differently. I don't know. Just a sneaking suspicion. But it was amusing. Yeah, no, I mean, stuff like that happens a lot when you have a big star. You know, you only have him for a few days, mm -hmm. so they probably got all of his stuff, like, back to back to back. Yeah. Uh, but I, I still think the chemistry worked there off of each other. Um, I do wonder if, like, th there was a pretty long bit at the end, and I, I can't remember if this was shortened in the theatrical one uh you know they're outside of the place they've defeated the big ghost monster and like yeah he they throw someone throws him a sandwich and then she takes it away and then someone throws him a drink and it keeps cutting to you know other stuff being thrown to him and i i can see what you mean like in, in that kind of moment yeah. like just because that sounded like i was really negative on the movie there were moments i liked yeah no, i i am with you when it comes to the plot and I feel like a lot of that hinges on there not being much mystery here. We kind of learn what's going on very early in the film uh, in regards to the villain. And the fact that there is a villain like is much different than previous Ghostbusters movies, uh, or at least a, a kind of conscious villain rather than just kind of a ghostly entity that's kind of operating through people. Mm. It's kind of the reverse here. And they, they, I feel like there were, and I feel like they were intending on using him as a as a big metaphor for the kind of you know that kind of trolly misogynism just in general misogynism he's this kind of quiet dude who's like kind of very vocally afraid of women or look down on them but i don't know if they went hard enough into it for it to work it seems like there was also a lot of other stuff going on with mm -hmm. him and it he also kind of pointed to just disliking people in general yeah yeah i felt like they could have found if they were going to go with a villain villain they could have found something, uh, I guess, a little closer to the themes that were, I don't know, they could have worked, done some character work and found something that was like the inverse of what they were going for. And instead of like being legitimately the inverse, like my plan is the opposite of your plan, instead of sucking up ghosts, mm. I'm going to let them out. Uh, like more of a thematic inverse. That sounded pretty close to him, yeah. actually. Yeah, it was... Uh... Interesting plot choices uh, that kind of just felt like they're 
there to get you to the next moment, which led to like the kind of final climax feeling a little meaningless. But I, I think that the joy of this movie is just the ride and those moments in between all of this and all, all the kind of dialogue that's uh, that's kind of filling in those spaces. Yeah. What's the spiel on this movie happening in general? Did, did you do you know if kind of Paul Feig just pitched this, or was this pitched to him, or where the the, the kind of this birth from? Where Paul Feig comes into it is an interesting question because okay, so Film School Rejects has a uh, an article that basically is uh, has compiled all of the press mentions of Ghostbusters from 1989 after Ghostbusters 2 released through uh let's see what the date is on this he ends it around 20 uh around 2011ish and uh and then there's okay. there's another article that kind of picks up from where the 2011 part ended there really wasn't a lot said how Paul Feig really came into play other than just um in 2014 that Paul Feig was talking to Sony about it he was a, a big, uh, making big monies in the box office. Bridesmaids had a budget of $32 million and made $288 million. The Heat, similar. $43 million budget, $229 million wow. box office gross. Spy, a little higher budget, $65 million, but still $235 million box office gross, which is weird. The numbers are wild. Yeah, the numbers are wild, but he made the Ghostbusters movie with the budget of 144 million and guess how much it made at the box office almost exactly the same amount he always makes in his movies <laughs> like what were they expecting yeah but um yeah and i've seen um i've seen some rough numbers stuff that say you know when it's that big of a budget and that much that doesn't add in marketing which they went crazy for with this movie yeah and so realistically it would want it should have made more of around the three hundred thousand plus yeah. to really break even. But uh, yeah, allegedly they're at a loss of about seventy million for Ghostbusters twenty sixteen, aka Answer the Call. Um, but anyways, let's go back in time for a little bit. And um, so after Ghostbusters two came out, the crew was exhausted, the cast was exhausted. They didn't have the greatest time filming it, but they were all kind of gung ho to do a uh, a third movie if it if it came up um in uh, in 1989 uh Dan Aykroyd told the St. Louis Post that he's always ready. He said he has ideas for stories. These characters can do it again sometime. Not for a while, but we'll come back to it. Why shouldn't we? Meanwhile, Harold Ramis was a little less intrepid, but he he was uh he said that uh he's been sort of merciless about the Star Trek guys pushing it way past the age where they're graceful at it. And he said, uh, quote, I'm just worried that, well, I already have to dye my hair, had to dye my hair for this one. I don't want to have to get a facelift or any anything. And uh, then Bill Murray was really kind of cryptic when he first says, well, I think many things come in threes. And then he also said, but I think some things come in twos. And so he was definitely like not, uh, you know, absolutely saying he wouldn't do it. But he was also being really uh, cagey. And then in uh, 1990, 
Ivan Reitman um, was uh, talking about maybe he didn't want to do another one. He said he didn't like doing sequels. It's impossible to surprise anyone with a sequel. He told the Jerusalem Post, I suppose in a way it's challenging to try to do something original with something you've done before, but that's the kind of challenge uh, I can do without. Then in 1992, he was in another interview saying that uh, Columbia Pictures had given him a call and he said, they've gone back and checked the records and realized three of my films were Columbia's most successful. They phoned just last week and want to mean about it. And um, while he did seem uninterested, he was willing to entertain the idea with Columbia. And then in 1993, it sounded like Sony and Columbia were definitely trying to push forward with a follow-up because Harold Ramis had gotten to the point where uh, he was saying in an interview to the Washington Post that the studio views it as a franchise. They wouldn't mind if we just showed up for five minutes and introduced the new Ghostbusters. Meanwhile, Aykroyd, uh, Dan Aykroyd had kind of taken up this hobby of working on a Ghostbusters 3 script. He had kind of uh, written about three or four different versions of it, all of which kind of circled around this um, alternate reality that they go in. Instead of ghosts, they end up in hell. And so it'd just be this weird uh, adventure movie where they have to take down the devil in hell. And then he rewrote another version where he rewrote this other version where it takes place on, in Manhattan which in, in the hell version, it was Manhelton. That sounds like Dan Aykroyd. Okay. Um, All right, Dan. Then in, uh, he made another version that takes place in Manhattan, but hell comes to Manhattan so that it would be a little cheaper, but it'd be the same thing. And then he wrote another version where they were all the, the Ghostbusters mentoring a new team so that they wouldn't have to be in it much. I'm just imagining every like four months or so, Ivan Reitman just sitting down, sipping on coffee, and then Dan Aykroyd just emphatically like banging on his window comes in and shows him. <laughs> he pops in the window. I've got another one. Shows a new draft, and Reitman just has to be like, wait, wait man, man, Helton? <laughs> man, Helton. Oh, all right, Dan. Man, Helton? <laughs> Come on, Dan. You could do better than that. In 1998, uh, up at to this point, it had been several years since there had even been talk about it. Um, a reporter asked uh, if would ask if, you know, like Harold Ramis or Ivan Reitman, if they were interested and they would talk about keep whether or not they could keep the stuff fresh after all this time. And then they just walk away. It wasn't until uh, a 1998 issue of the New York Daily News that um, they really started hinting at the creative differences going on behind the scenes. According to the report, Bill Murray was the one. That was, you know, like this was around the time when word started coming around that Bill Murray absolutely didn't want to do a third. But I know that this was also in the middle of Harold Ramis and Bill Murray's kind of they, they didn't talk to each other for a, a lot, a lot long of years time. after a, after Groundhog Day yeah. and throughout that process. Yeah, yeah. I, I got to imagine that also kind of put an axe in all mm -hmm. of this. Yeah, they really started button heads. Apparently, Bill Murray wanted to make Groundhog Day a drama. And Harold Ramis was like, what are you talking about? It's a comedy. And they they ended up coming up with a happy medium for the movie, uh, you know, like a, a you know, like meeting in the middle in the movie. But yeah, they didn't want to. They 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 just apparently they they went head to head a little too much during the making of that movie. And so Bill Murray was they're saying he didn't want to be in the sequel, but he wants to get paid for it. And so there was this weird hemming and hawing. And so he was basically entertaining the notion between all of them, trying to get them to make a third while also turning down being in it just so he could get paid paid for the movie because he co-owns the rights mm. while also saying, I'm not going to do it. While this is going on, Aykroyd is coming up with like 
like tweaking the scripts every time just to get Murray in it less and less. Like maybe if I only put him in for five minutes, he, he'll, he'll say, okay. Maybe if I only put him in for one minute, he'll say, okay. And, uh, yeah, Harold Ramis was saying that, yeah, this was these, these scripts that Aykroyd was coming up with were pretty much just a hobby. He had a, he had a strong feeling they were never going to get made. You know, every time Harold Ramis found out he had another one, he would, you know, like, okay. It was, uh, it was in 2000 that, uh, Dan Aykroyd actually sat down at an interview and gave like real specifics on this third Ghostbusters movie. He started explaining that it was in Manhattan, but also admitting that he finally made peace that it'll never get made. Uh, he says, I would have loved to have had Ghostbusters 3 made, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen. So I'm finally letting go. And, uh, when asked if uh, the original cast would have been featured in it, Aykroyd explained that he had explicitly written around Murray's steadfast refusal to participate. I wrote him a one-day part. It's a part that no actor would turn down. He dies in a lab accident and comes back as a deity. Then in 2007, they're actually somehow sparking things back up again about making it happen. And the whole him dying in a lab accident and coming back as a deity... He's trying to get Bill Murray to come back as a CG ghost so that he wouldn't have to change his clothes. He wouldn't have to do anything. He'd just get on the microphone and record the voice. He'd say, uh, I want to do it as CGI, quote. I'd like Bill Murray doing the voice as well, but I'm not holding my breath. And um, a decade before, Murray was on the hook for a small role as a mentor. Then it was a single day shoot until finally Murray never even needs to change out of his Chicago Cubs jersey only needing to record a few lines of dialogue for his on-screen avatar. Went from headliner to cameo. Then nothing. Still didn't happen, but they made a video game. When disaster strikes. When the city quakes in fear. When there's no one to turn to. Who are you gonna call? Uh, that's your cue, killer. Something strange in the neighborhood. Where they took Aykroyd's script and turned it into a video game called Ghostbusters. It ended up coming out in 2009, but the entire cast reprised their voices, including Bill Murray. And Bill Murray was surprisingly enthusiastic about it. He said it was fun to do the video game and the video game ended up uh sparking rumors of columbia trying to ask them to make another movie and so in 2008 after all this hemming and hawing it sparks up again and uh harold ramus went ahead and confirmed that you know they, they were talking about it again and uh they were talking with judd apatow to produce it and it would just be the mentor thing again. And everyone is confident that a decent script could be written. They were going to dump Aykroyd's script because they put that into the video game and they were going to start a new script. This time, uh, the script was going to be written by Gene Stubnitsky and Lee Eisenberg, who collaborated with Harold Ramis's uh, film Year One. Uh, uh, oh, did they? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, in 2008, Harold Ramis was confident that they could get a script together. And it was practically a foregone conclusion that Ghostbusters 3 was going to get made. Los Angeles Times sat down with Dan Aykroyd to discuss his thoughts. And um, he was he was gung-ho and started talking about hiring, uh, bringing in some new actors for, you know, like the Ghostbusters 3 movie. 
Aykroyd was throwing out names like Alyssa Milano and Elijah Dushku. I, maybe it was uh, a it was a CW Ghostbusters. Dan Aykroyd, I, I don't know what he's up to, but uh, I think he, he's more focused on you know making his vodka and looking out at space. Yeah. Skull vodka and aliens. <laughs> and then in in 2010, their fingers were crossed. Um, Ivan Reitman was actually thinking about directing it. Um, but then a few months later, Sony Pictures was talking about finding a younger director. But Reitman's contract allowed him to choose his own successor. So he had to pick the director. And so it's just sounded like a, a little bit of a mess, but they were moving forward. All they had to do was get Bill Murray to read the script. And Ivan Reitman was sounding a little pissy. He said, all of the actors but one have read the script and loved it. And uh, he said, we finally have a good script for Ghostbusters 3. All I have to do is get Bill Murray to read it. Then he, he continues in another interview saying, Bill Murray has never actually read anything. He may, have, he may read 10 pages at some point, but he's never read a script. And so they could not get the guy to read the damn script. And so at this point, they were all ready to go but they could not get in contact with Bill Murray to finish the script to say yes or no. And then tragedy struck um, around uh, 2013. Harold Ramis passed away. Ivan Reitman was getting old enough to not really want to direct a film anymore. He was pretty much done, done with the, the film scene. And at that point, without Harold Ramis, and I mean, maybe they could find another director, but ultimately they just kind of all bowed out. Yeah. And they said, you know... At this point, let's just not do a direct follow-up to Ghostbusters. And um, Sony Pictures agreed, but then they immediately started pushing for a reboot instead. And so instead of just letting uh, you know Sleeping Dogs lie, they were like, okay, let's go ahead and reboot it. And by 2014, just a year after all this, mm. uh, they're talking with Paul Feig about making a Ghostbusters reboot, which the, the, all of the original cast were you know, in support of. They thought yeah. that was fine, starting a, a fresh new start just completely from the ground up. Um, in fact, they even were able to get Bill Murray as long as he did not play, uh, you know, Vagman. He had yeah. to play a completely new character. Which was probably for the best. Yeah. I like that they didn't try and tie in the old characters to the new, even though there was so much fan service stuff in the movie that kind of held it back. It was weird. It was like we're doing something different, but yet we're going to linger. The camera's going to linger on yep, every nod yep, to the exactly. franchise before it. And, and it's like, if they were going to do that, I, I don't see why they couldn't have made this a, like a loose follow-up. Like maybe the Ghostbusters were so successful that they became, you know, like exactly what Venkman wanted, you know, a corporate entity, and they had franchised out or something, and this was just one franchise I don't know. There's a good role-playing game with that exact same premise. It's called Inspectors. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's a fun game. Uh, oh, but, okay. yep. Yeah, yeah I, I will say, Bill Murray did not look like he wanted to be there in this movie. No. He looked, yeah. He looked miserable in, in his one scene. I like that he died at the end of it. That was amusing. But, uh, yeah. he. Uh, I don't think he, he wanted to be there at all. Uh, I, I think that uh, Ernie... I think he got the best cameo. Like it was actually believable within the world and was enjoyable. Like he got some funny dialogue actually. Yeah. Bill Murray's was fine. He just had no enthusiasm. Like, okay, he's playing a different character. That's whatever. I thought Dan Aykroyd's was just way too tongue in cheek. 
like uh, one more block south than I want to go. Sir, those are actual ghosts flying around. And a class five floating vapors. Nothing to worry about. No, no, no. It's important. Don't you see what's happening? Look, I don't go to Chinatown. I don't drive wackos, and I ain't afraid of no ghosts. <laughs> it's like, come on, man. And then uh, I thought they just spent, they did the whole like, oh, somebody's in the room. Who's it going to be? And then they turn around with the Annie Potts. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, it was just such a cameo cameo that oh, I was yeah. like, oh boy. And then the worst cameo of spin all, around. Slimer. It's true. They did, a, they leaned hard into the Slimer, which like, I could believe, you know, okay, it's just a ghost. It's a wacky ghost. They do the same thing in Ghostbusters too. Like, oh, there he is again. He's being wacky. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the like, you know, Slimer wife. Yeah. Interesting decisions. Interesting decisions. I remembered the puff marshmallow thing being more of a thing. I'm glad that that was kind of in and out very quickly, but uh, still a little more than I needed, you know. Mm-hmm. It was. It was. It, the, the, I thought the Stay Puff was. Yeah, a little long, but fine. It made more sense than you know, Slimer saving the day in theory. You know. Yeah. Aka Onion Head. Onion Head. So after going through this uh, exhausting story of hemming and hawing over follow-ups. Yeah. Let's get back to the real movie that we're yeah. talking about today. Yeah, exactly. And the one that you, was made. Yeah. The one that ended up taking place. Like, what were your absolute favorite moments? I guess that's tough. I, I, I Like I said, I like a lot of the dialogue around Chris Hemsworth. You know, them talking about him not having any glasses because, you know, they kept having to clean them. Just dumb, dumb stuff like that. There was a lot of great moments there. He can't. He, it, something's loud, so he covers his eyes. <laughs> his his dog's name is Mike Hat. Mike Hat. Yeah, that was very sitcommy, but I liked it. Like I said, yeah, this is very like a lot of this dialogue feel, felt very Parks and Rec almost. Like if you just change the camera style, this could be a Parks and Rec, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sequence going on between these characters. As TV as the cold open felt, I really liked some of Zach Wood's improv in that opening <laughs> sequence. Like, I, um, I, I liked uh, you know in the next in the next scene after that where he, the Ed Mulgrave thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wanted to. Uh, Introduce these Hi people there. to him. He came to see me this morning. Ed Mulgrave? Yes. Ed, Ed Mulgrave died 15 years ago. Yes. That's awesome. Dead for 15 years. Ed's a ghost. Ah, no, it's. I just saw him today. Oh, so, so who is this? Well, that's Ed's son, Ed Jr. Okay. Oh, there he is right there. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was great. I thought the outside of the Higgins Institute of Science where people were just beating each other up. <laughs> I thought that was great. Yeah. In fact, I, th- I thought that Dean was pretty funny too. Mm-hmm. I don't know. This seemed like a moment that would have been just for the extended cut where he like pulls out his acoustic guitar after he's being interviewed. Yeah, it was. That was that was like an Apatow extended edition uh, yeah. cut if I've ever seen one. But it was amusing. I thought Cicely Strong had some really weird choices that were hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, I thought she was pretty great. She made like just this bizarre yell at one moment that just kind of like as she was walking up to them, just kind of out, out of the blue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, speaking of her character, I, I liked when the mayor got really pissed about being compared to yes. the Jaws <laughs> yes. mayor. Like how angry he got was funny. I think the wonton bit was predictable, but I thought it was amusing. Uh. Okay, that, that I was going to bring that up because that kind of <laughs> pissed me off. They're in New York City. There are Chinese restaurants on every corner, and she keeps ordering the same one that keeps screwing up her order. 
I don't know. Sometimes if it's what's closest, you know, you just you're gonna go for the for the easiest. But then on top of that, she orders delivery upstairs. She could just go downstairs and not have to deal with the delivery guy that she keeps calling and complaining yeah, but about. They're sciencing, okay? You know, when you're when yeah. you're doing science, you don't want things to get in the way. And there was one line that I wish it wouldn't have been explained right afterwards. I think it should have just lingered. But whenever um, Abby is possessed by Neil mm -hmm. Casey and she grabs that pipe and Kate McKinnon was like, oh, you, you, you found my pipe. I think it just sort of just yeah, ended yeah. there. And she's just like really excited. Like, oh, yeah, you found my pipe. I found that in a dumpster. Yeah. I was like, oh. I wish I, I would have wrote down more examples because there were a lot of moments where uh, just Kate McKinnon, just their, her read on these lines like made me chuckle, even though if it wasn't particularly a joke. But yeah, like moments like that, like where I don't think this was written to be a joke per se, but she just kind of mm. nailed it in a weird, unexpected way. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I could dig that. What, what, what about you, though? Uh, how did you feel about when uh, when the big gargoyle ghost? I was well, let's not get into that. I, very, I was kind of fucking confused on why the ghost was a gargoyle shape. But when it was, uh, you know, on Leslie Jones's shoulders at the, uh, in the in the concert, I thought she was she was pretty great at the, just kind of reacting to that, yeah. or like her falling down. It, it's like you said, it's all hell isms or whatever. Most of her dialogue. I'm a, I've been a big fan of Leslie Jones, you know, since she started on SNL, and so like, yeah, she did great in it. I'm just talking about the I, when I, when I was complaining, I wasn't really complaining about her performance. I was complaining about just like the dynamic. Oh, of the no, team. yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And the, and the dialogue is kind of, you know, it's a little trite to do that, you know, and, and kind of have a character like that. But I did really like her trying to crowd surf, no one catching her. Okay, so I don't know if it was a race thing or a lady thing, but I'm mad as hell. I thought that was great. And, and yeah, I liked her whenever they were trying to like tell her that there's a ghost on your shoulders. Nope, 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 nope. nope. <laughs> Don't tell me anything. I'm just going to turn around and go home. Apparently, she could not find a designer to make her an outfit for the premiere of this movie. Like, you know, a movie that she co-starred in, uh, was on the billing, could not find someone to make a uh, an outfit for her because of her size, uh, you know, was because she, she's, I think, six foot tall. And I, I think that 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 was yeah, their excuse. Okay. I don't know. But yeah, it was written about a lot and uh, was very kind of infuriating. You know, yeah, she's six foot. And apparently Melissa McCarthy had had the same problem but, a few years beforehand. But that's still nonsense. I mean, yeah, there, no, there are no actresses that are six that are like five foot eleven and they get dresses yeah, all no, the damn it's time. Ridiculous. Also, I just learned from IMDb there's a new Home Alone coming out. So watch out for that. Home sweet Home Alone. There was the moment where Rowan, aka Neil Casey, aka, uh, is now dead in ghost form and has possessed Kevin. Um, and he gets all of these, uh, you know, SWAT team guys and city officials to um, do a very Beetlejuice-esque dance number. Beetlejuice, The Mask, I was thinking Cuban Pete. And 
I don't know. Like, I, yeah, maybe it's because, you know, I've seen Mask, I've seen Ghostbusters. But I, I thought that in concept, it was a really fun idea. But I, I think it just got too playful with the uh, filmmaking here of presenting it as like turn like the movie suddenly becoming this very big fun romp music video. I think it maybe yeah. if they would have been a bit more subtle with uh, making it feel more tense uh, and kind of staying within the cinematic style that the movie had kind of already established, it might have worked better. I don't know. Like, I thought it was just like a lot of the stuff towards the end. Like, I, I'm recognizing, oh, this is a fun moment happening, but I wasn't actually like super engaged with it. Yeah, no, I, I, I pretty much agree. Like, yeah, there are some fun moments, but the movie as a whole, I was just like, oh, okay, this is what's happening. I don't care. And it's a... Have they busted the ghosts It's yet? interesting. I feel like in a movie like this where kind of everyone is just saying one-liners to each other, like no matter what, no matter like how kind of uh, intense they're supposed to be, how big of an asshole they're, they're supposed to be, like if they're the villain, if they're the, you know, the obstacle, everyone is still just kind of giving more dialogue humor. I feel like it kind of gives a little bit of diminishing returns for there being stakes. Yeah. Sad, there's not that many other lines that are coming to mind. If any happen to pop into my head, you know, in between now and wrapping up the edit time, I'll throw those in. Just uh, I'll throw in a few extra clips here just to give, you know, uh, to give kudos to, to the moments that I might have forgotten. But yeah, it, I still will kind of defend this movie it, it, from people saying it was like, you know, just a trash fire, like you know, something like that, or just a complete waste. No, it wasn't awful. This, I mean, this probably is the only movie that this full cast will ever be in together. And uh, I think they worked well off of each other. I, I kind of wish that they would have gotten like their own, you know, action adventure movie that wasn't a reboot. Yeah, that would have been interesting. You know, that didn't have to be so beholden to, didn't have to be so beholden to nostalgia. But I mean, we're kind of in the era of the reboot. There's not that many movies that get you know funded, and I feel like 2016 in particular, and the kind of like mid to late you know 2010s, it was even worse than now. You know, this was kind of I think studios saw how much Star Trek reboot was able to make and how much in theory, Star Wars could make and then did make before that kind of went off the rails for them. But this is this is where I'm going with it. And I understand that I already know the answer because it's Sony Pictures and they don't have a big franchise anymore other than maybe Spider-Man. Big franchise. That is a big franchise. But there are plenty of other 80s movies that are steeped in nostalgia that are not, that like, I'm sure plenty of the fans would be like, man, if they made a second or a third one, That'd be great, but they don't. And I mean, like, and, and one of them, the most obvious, probably the one that was entirely built around nostalgia in the 80s, Back to the Future. Problem child. Oh, yeah, Back to you the Future. You don't see people clamoring to make, like, another Back to the Future. That was a franchise. It had sequels. Yeah, I think that's and, why. But so did Ghostbusters. It had a sequel. Why do you need another sequel? Ghostbusters 2, not as bad as Back to the Future 3. I'm gonna put that out there. I'm gonna say that Ghost uh, Back to the Future Three was okay. Yeah, so was Ghostbusters Two. There you go. I think Ghostbusters Two was more okay than uh, Back to the Future Three. They did something different 
even though the se- the one the second one ended on a cliffhanger. It didn't do anything different. It just put it in the West. That's exactly what they did different. And they've had them flying off in a train at the end. I just question the viability of Ghostbusters as a franchise. I just, I yeah. think they're fine as you know. You don't see a Goonies sequel. I would love. Everybody wants to see a Goonies sequel. Okay. In conclusion, on Ghostbusters rebooting. I get why why people want more Ghostbusters. It's like a kind of unique brand of action adventure. You know, it's this weird mix of kind of mysticism and mystery. Speaking more so for the originals that I guess people are clamoring for and what uh, I'm assuming that Afterlife delivers. I don't know. I haven't seen it. But this kind of mix of like, you know, Dan Aykroyd's legitimate like deep dives into the mysticism and the occult and ghost nonsense like mixed into somewhat pseudo 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 science but like kind of all within this really grounded kind of rapper of uh i don't know like goofball ish human drama i don't know it's it's an interesting brand kind of mundane yeah it's an interesting brand of action adventure that um despite like enjoying ghostbusters 2016 it doesn't really give that uh particular thing it doesn't really go for the feel of the originals which uh i I think is fine but i understand i guess why people like that vibe and want it again yeah and just the basic idea of you know grabbing ghosts putting them in traps sucking them in the boxes did we just catch a ghost oh yeah yeah we put a ghost in a box! You want some more? All right, so uh, it was only 2016, but uh, how has it aged? Just a quick one. Yeah, I don't think this is much of a segment here. I don't. I can't think of crazy amount of stuff other than like, I feel like characters like the kind of stereotypy Leslie Jones, Leslie Jones character here, have become have been examined a little bit more in the past five years. Uh, I, I wish that she was a little bit more grounded and a little less, but that that's kind of her comedy shtick. Yeah. And, uh, that, that, that's a lot of comedy shtick, you know, and I, I think it works here. So I don't, I don't know. Um, but I, I do wish we would have seen more, uh, more roundness uh, of her character or any of these characters, but that's kind of more of a, this script and movie problem rather than a social kind of, you know, problem. Today, we, ladies and gentlemen, we've got pretty much a non-segment here. <laughs> uh, All right. Well, in that case, I think we should wrap. Or wait, Will, do you hear? Do you hear any? Is there an jingling? ice cream truck going around? Well, no, yeah. Okay. If you, if you're hearing that ice cream truck right now, that is the signal by my producer that uh, it's time for us to wrap this up. He's got to run downstairs. Yeah, our our producer operates an ice cream truck, and this is how they signal the end of every episode. Usually, I edit it out, but I'm not going to do that this time. Yeah. As always, uh, Will, how can they reach out to us? Oh, you know, gagrepod at gmail.com. Gagrepod.com. At gagrepod on Facebook and Twitter. And All right. It. You can't get in touch with us in any other way. If we find out you're calling us on our real phones, we're not going to answer. I'd be surprised. But oh. uh, have a good one, everyone out there. And take it easy. Indubitably. It's over now.